I wish you all the blessings of the joy of the Easter season. As our call to worship this morning, we will hear the account at the end of Mark's Gospel. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He's not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out... And they fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. We're going to come to God in prayer now, and after I have led us in some uh, opening prayers, we will join together in saying the Lord's Prayer. And I invite you, when we reach that stage, to pray that prayer in your own first language and in whichever version is most familiar to you. So let's pray together. Creator God, in the beginning, when there was nothing but chaos and darkness, you brought order and light, delighting in the diversity of creation and setting it free to fulfil its potential. On this new day, we bring our praise and thanksgiving for our own continuing lives and for the world, indeed for the universe, of which we are but a tiny part. Redeeming God, the story of your people is marred by the chaos and darkness of sin and finitude. Yet you have never abandoned us. Rather, In the human Jesus, you share our frailty. And in the divine Christ, you defeat sin and death, restoring order and lighting our lives with hope. Sustaining God, in our own time, sometimes it feels as if chaos and darkness will overwhelm all that we hold dear. Yet your spirit enlightens our hearts and our minds, creating order and empowering us for daily living. Triune God, always creating, always redeeming and always sustaining. Delighting in the good news that Though we may not yet fully experience it, 
Sin and death have fully and finally been defeated at Calvary. We gather to celebrate Christ's resurrection and to pray for the incoming kingdom of Shalom in the words he gave us as we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. The first reading is from Acts, chapter 10, verses 34 to 43. Peter began to speak. I now realize that it is true that God treats everyone on the same basis. Those who fear him and do what is right are acceptable to him, no matter what race they belong to. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know of the great event that took place throughout the land of Israel, beginning in Galilee after John preached his message of baptism. You know about Jesus of Nazareth and how God poured out on him the Holy Spirit and power. He went everywhere doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil for God was with him. We are witnesses of everything that he did in the land of Israel and in Jerusalem. Then they put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from death three days later and caused him to appear, not to everyone, but only to the witnesses that God had already chosen. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from death. And he commanded us to preach the gospel to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God has appointed judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets spoke about him, saying that all who believe in him will have their sins forgiven through the power of his name. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. And now I want to remind you, my friends, of the good news which I preached to you, which you received, and on which your faith stands firm. That is the gospel, the message that I preached to you. You are saved by the gospel if you hold firmly to it, unless it was for nothing that you believed. I passed on to you what I received, which is of the greatest importance, that Christ died for our sins, as written in the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised to life three days later, as written in the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter, and then to all twelve apostles. Then he appeared to more than five hundred of his followers at once, most of whom are still alive although some have died. Then he appeared to James, and afterward to all the apostles. 
Last of all, he appeared also to me, even though I am like someone whose birth was abnormal. For I am the least of all the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted God's church. But by God's grace, I am what I am. And the grace that he gave me was not without effect. On the contrary, I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, although it was not really my own doing, but God's grace working with me. So then, whether it came from me or from them, this is what we all preach, and this is what you believe Easter Sunday is arguably the pinnacle of Christian celebrations. The day when we recount and recall a mysterious truth that just when it seemed that everything was lost, when it was all for nothing, that the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth had ended in his death on Calvary, news emerges that the grave is empty that Jesus is risen and that God in Christ has defeated the power of sin and death forever. As I was getting ready to uh, lead the service today, it struck me that over the years I have preached every single year on the gospel set for Easter Sunday, the gospel passage, and actually skipped away from the other readings, which is a shame really because they also have much to tell us. The three readings we've heard today from Mark, from Acts, and from 1 Corinthians record some events that happened, firstly, on that first Sunday, then about five or six years later, and last as much as a quarter of a century after the events we're celebrating today. And we're taken on a remarkable journey through some of the experiences of the early believers and the emergence of what would become a global church stretching forward through 2,000 years and beyond. What I'm going to share this morning is not exactly a sermon. It's not an exposition of any of the passages we've heard. Uh, I'm being a bit mischievous. I'm trying to put myself and to invite you to put yourselves in the places of the three characters who we have encountered. Peter, Paul... And Mary. And yes, if you're old enough to remember the folk group of the same name, that is kind of semi deliberate. I grew up with Puff the Magic Dragon and Blowing in the Wind and Where Have All the Flowers Gone? Interestingly, though, amongst the repertoire of that group were a number of gospel songs, including the classic Go Tell It on the Mountain. So, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Mary. It's a common enough name, isn't it? I mean, his mom was called Mary. There was Mary of Magdala, the one whose mental health and inner demons had thwarted her life until she met Jesus. There was Mary of Bethany, sister of Martha, who poured the oil on his feet. And then there was me, Mary, the mother of James. It had been the longest, loneliest, saddest Sabbath I could ever remember. 
I woke up and just for a moment, just a moment, I'd forgotten. And then, like a cold, icy flood, it came back into my memory. Jesus, the Nazarene, the one who told us such amazing stories, the one with whom we had shared food, the one who had shown us such wonders, who had touched the untouchables and enabled us to rediscover hope when it seemed hope was dead. He was dead. Stone cold dead. Hastily buried before the Sabbath began, wrapped in cloths and placed in a borrowed tomb because there was nowhere else we could lay him. We couldn't even offer him the dignity of the ritual anointing, the offices for the one who had died. Hastily I got up, I gathered spices and perfumes and went to meet them, Mary of Magdala and Salome. Silently we embraced before making our sad journey through the dark streets. I can't recall which one of us it was who voiced the question that we were all thinking though. Who is going to roll back that stone for us? I mean, it was huge. In the midst of our fear and grief, this practicality had slipped our minds, but nothing Nothing would stop us going on to that garden. Somehow or other, somehow we would move that stone. We would make it happen. We would tiptoe into the tomb and do this one last thing for the man we loved. We arrived and we made our way in. My heart sank. Dread filled me. My blood ran cold. The stone had been rolled back and the tomb was open. I looked at the others and they looked at me. Our faces blanched. Our limbs trembled as the fight or flight reflex overtook us. No! No, 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 no! They'd killed him. And now we were to be denied this one last chance to say our goodbyes. Our one last chance to kiss that precious face to touch those nail-pierced hands, to anoint and wrap him tenderly like a baby, and then to let him rest. Tears coursed down my face, and sobs racked my body. Dropping our carefully prepared spices, we clung together. I heard a voice And squinting through my tears, I saw what seemed to be a man dressed all in white. Don't be afraid, he said. Jesus has risen. Go and tell his disciples. And in particular, tell Peter. They're to go back to Galilee, and there they will see him. Roll back stones. Men in white incomprehensible instructions about impossible events. 
pausing only as long as it took to see each other's petrified faces, too terrified even to speak. We hitched up our robes and ran as fast as we could out of the garden, along the road, back to safety. Dumbstruck and terrified, we said nothing. Peter. It's more than five years now since it all happened, and yet, you know, when I recall it, I still get that sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. That slave girl who asked me if I knew him, and I said, oh, no, 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 I don't know him. The cock crowing, oh, I shudder every time I hear a cock crow. That look on his face as he stared into my eyes and saw my broken soul. I was just so scared. Men aren't meant to be scared, are we? We're supposed to be tough and able to do anything. But I was scared. With tears of remorse and shame coursing down my cheeks, I slipped away quickly. Oh, for sure, I watched parts of the kangaroo court that took place in public, but only from a safe distance. I could see where it was all headed, and I fled. It was young John who stood at the foot of the cross, taking care of his mother. It was a stranger, Joseph, who offered the grave. And it was the women who followed to see where he was laid to rest. Me, I was a total failure. I just wished the ground would open up and swallow me. But of course it didn't. So when I heard that the women had had a strange encounter in the garden and had fled too, and that they were too terrified to speak, well, who was I to criticise? But the idea that the story ended there, that it ends there... Well, clearly, the fact that I'm talking to you now shows that's not the case. The women did come and find us, and that was no small task because we'd done our best to disappear. And they did tell us, and we didn't actually trust their story. So we had to go and find out for ourselves. Oh, dear. I was a brash, blustering bloke, wasn't I? Always so sure of myself, always tripping over my feet, opening my mouth just to change feet, always needing somebody else to put me right. After a while, things did settle down, and we began to find our way forward. I became the leader, just as Jesus had said I would, And we began to share the stories and the teaching we'd learned. It was incredibly exciting. And I'll never, ever forget that first Pentecost when we found people from all over the known world listening to us and understanding what we said. After all we'd been through, after such incredible fear and sorrow, to experience experience such ecstasy. 
Sometimes I still have to pinch myself to believe it really happened. Time passed and, and we were quite happy sharing with ethnic and proselyte Jews the good news of Jesus. And then something happened which would change my outlook forever. I was in Joppa and, and one day I just had the most bizarre dream ever. This sheet was being lowered down from the sky and it was full of snakes and scorpions and, and crabs and mollusks and crustaceans and, and birds and well, just every single unclean creature you can imagine that we are forbidden to eat. And a voice said, Peter, kill and eat. I was horrified. No, 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 I can't do such a thing. And three times it happened. And then a voice said, it's not for you to call unclean that which God has declared clean. Well, I can tell you, I woke up in a cold sweat, shuddering at the idea of a of prawn cocktail or, or crab salad, for goodness sake. When somebody came bounding up the stairs and said, um, there's a Roman man called Cornelius, come to see you. Suddenly, the penny dropped. I can be a bit slow sometimes. I welcomed him and I told him my story. Still shaking inside and still hardly believing what I was saying, I opened my mouth and declared, now I am certain that God treats all people alike. God is pleased with everyone who worships him, no matter what nation they come from. And in that moment, the memories came flooding back to my mind. Jesus speaking to foreigners, Samaritans, Syrophoenicians, Romans, to unclean people with mental illness or skin diseases or women who were bleeding. And I just hadn't seen what all this meant. Five years or more from his, re- his death and resurrection, and I'm still learning. I, Peter, saw the resurrected Jesus with my own eyes. I ate with him. I laughed with him. I walked with him. I, Peter, was entrusted with carrying on the work of the gospel. And five years on, I, Peter, I'm still learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Paul. Well, if Peter thinks he fouled up, he's got nothing on me. I was such a self-righteous prig. But worse, I allowed my religious zeal to lead me to organize and sanction the murder of those who followed Jesus. I was what you might call a religious extremist, a fundamentalist. Of course, I never got my hands dirty. I got somebody else to do the actual killing, But I was there, 
holding their coats and watching with ill-concealed glee. That was an awfully long time ago now. It must have been 20, maybe 25 years, something like that anyway. And of course, you know my story fine well. That blinding light on the road towards Damascus and the encounter that changed my life forever. I might never have met Jesus in the flesh, never sat down to eat with him or heard him laugh. I never witnessed him perform a wonder or tell a story. But in that moment, in that moment, in some way, I encountered him. And nothing was ever the same again. To be honest, my relationship with Peter has never been easy. After all, he was the one Jesus had told would be put in charge And then I came along, all full of new ideas and lots of new energy. We did actually argue quite a lot about what we should expect from people who weren't born as Jews. And sometimes we never quite reached agreement. Well, to be honest, sometimes we didn't actually agree to disagree. We just plain old-fashioned disagreed. And so here I am putting pen to paper to write to a church in Corinth, a cosmopolitan city famous for all the wrong reasons, trying to help them to understand how they should conduct their life together, order in worship, sharing the Lord's Supper, family life, all that sort of stuff. But now, As I'm getting towards the end of my letter, I want to go back to where it all began and give my testimony once more. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and three days later he was raised to life. Christ appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, and then to more than 500 other followers, most of them who were still alive, but some have died. Finally, he appeared to me, even though I had caused so much trouble for God's church. But God is kind. I hope they'll keep hold of this central message as they work out what it means for them to follow Jesus. I hope when people look back on what I've written, they'll realise what motivated me. I hope that... Whatever challenges and questions they face, they too will tell the story to a new generation until everyone, everywhere, has heard the good news. Women, too terrified to speak, fleeing, just as the sun rises. A man who had spent years with Jesus, who still had more to learn about what he had already seen and had already been taught. A man who'd caused trouble for the church, who discovered God's kindness and gave the rest of his life to working out what it meant to follow Jesus in many very varied cultures and contexts. I wonder if we've seen anything of ourselves in any of them.
I wonder if their stories have helped us to understand ourselves just a little bit better. We don't actually know how any of their human stories ended. But we do know that the story of Jesus that they passed on continues to be passed on. And in this, our generation, in our context, in our way, it is our turn to do so. It's, it's time now to, to bring our, our prayer to, to the mountains. The reason uh, it might you uh, uh, this prayer that we are all familiar with is that I will just start with this simple reading. Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone we ask receives, and everyone we search finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Today we, we search, we ask, and we open the door, and we find the risen Christ, we find the living Christ, and we find the hope of Easter. And, and today, I will invite you to, to bring your prayers for the world to the cross. So the way that we will do that, and that there is on each of these seats a pen, and there is a couple of post-its that will invite you to pass on. And I invite each of you to bring your prayer, the prayer for your family, for your loved one, for your workplace, for your country, to bring this prayer to the cross as a symboling act, to bring your prayer to the risen Christ in the hope of Easter. You could write this prayer in your own language. You could draw something. You could do as your heart called you to do and to bring this prayer to the cross. For the people not able to, to come, I could take the prayer and I will put the prayer on the cross. And I invite the, the children to, to participate on their own way and to bring their prayer to the cross, your prayer for the world in the hope of the cross. Hear, Lord, all the prayer of your people. The prayer they have in their heart and they bring to you. And we pray, Lord, that you will answer to this prayer in your own time, in your own way. And we pray in the hope of this Sunday morning of Easter, in the hope that we have from the cross. We pray, Lord, in your name. Amen. God of resurrection, 
as we go from here, bless us with restored hope, refreshed vision, and renewed love, so that we may speak and be good news wherever our journeys lead us, now and always. Amen.